0: The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at Romans Chapter five at Comcast.net. Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation, episode number sixteen, The Superstitious Old Testament. If God is truth, then we have nothing to fear in seeking truth honestly, wherever we may find it. When discussing Christianity with the unbelieving, or atheists then, we should not be afraid of really listening to their arguments and issues. There is no danger that God's existence hangs on the outcome of your conversation. Even if you are beaten soundly in the game of words, you are engaging. If you are open, you will learn something from it. I try to always engage others with the idea that they have something important to teach me. My father drummed that lesson into me. Perhaps I should not say, do not be afraid, as this sort of courage is acquired, not inherent. I still get a nod in my gut when faced with tough criticism, and feel out of my comfort zone. Instead, I should say, do not retreat because you feel afraid. I never know how this confidence plays out in advance of any critical dialogue with someone. Usually, for me, it involves taking the claims of others seriously enough to acknowledge what I don't know, which opens the possibility that I might learn something. It also keeps me on my toes in two ways. First, we are called to be wise as serpents, and to understand that not all attacks are honest or rational, but some are even designed to hurt and sidetrack the discussion instead of search for truth. Secondly, however, we are also called to be gentle as doves, since no matter what the intent of the arguer, they are still human beings for whom Christ died, and who possess God's spark. I thought it might be useful to offer my pattern of response this week to one of my own critics, Max Dowd, who responded to my YouTube Christian Atheist number 9 on Jordan Peterson. I hope in this way to display how a careful... Honest and measured response can blunt the vitriol and keep the conversation going at a rational level. The first thing to note is that Max is a generically fair critic within the mainstream of opinion on academic biblical scholarship. He ends reasonably The Bible is a priceless book as a window into the minds of ancient people, primitive and superstitious though they were. And there is history in the Bible, it's just found mostly between the lines. But to call the Bible boundless in insight and wisdom is to ignore its horrors and to ignore the advances in authentic, unbiased, biblical studies. Note here that while he is a critic of the Bible, he is not discounting its value as a historical document from which knowledge can be gleaned. Max is not a vitriolic hater, but someone with whom you can converse intelligently. His take on the Bible as superstitious and primitive is not uncommon though I believe it to be wrong, in important ways. Let's look together at how best to respond to Max's criticism. Not, to his credit, Max begins by casting slurs, which is never good argument, however rhetorically effective it can be. The first substantive position is six sentences in. To describe the Bible as such, that is, a book boundless in insight and wisdom, is just cherry-picking. One commits the informal fallacy of cherry-picking when you only look at evidence that supports your side of the argument, without taking into account other evidence that might support a differing view. It is Max who commits this fallacy most clearly in what follows, by picking some seriously problematic Bible texts as evidence of its, quote, primitive and superstitious nature. His argument, essentially, is this. Premise 1. The Bible presents a cure for leprosy that involves incantations and the blood of a bird. Premise 2. The Bible presents a paternity test that clearly is superstitious, and details its superstitious nature. Premise 3. This sort of superstitious ickiness infests the whole Bible. Conclusion. The Bible cannot justifiably be called a book, quote, boundless in insight and wisdom. This is an inductive argument, meant to assert the probability of its conclusion as strongly as possible. Its logic is that of support for a conclusion, not of deductive necessity, which is just an observation, not a critique of the argument. Almost all of our arguments as human beings are inductive in nature. However, an inductive argument is only as strong as, one, the individual premise's truth states and two, the logic of their support for the conclusion. Max's argument, though containing at least one really good critical assessment of the Bible in Premise 2, fails to be a good argument in all other ways. Let's examine it. Premise 1 is an interpretive reading of Leviticus 14. The context makes it clear that what is being represented is not meant to be a cure for leprosy at all but rather a cleansing rite to restore the Jewish person to fellowship with God and his people after their leprosy has departed. These cleansing rites are arcane, odd, and distasteful to many, me among them, as Podcast 15 makes clear. But the claim that this is superstitious, in opposition to cultural, is not well supported, since it is not a matter of any metaphysical efficacy for the procedure, but simple obedience to community practice. The second premise is far more serious, I think, and reflects my own reservations with the Old Testament sacrificial system. If you read Numbers 5.11-31, through 31, Max's characterization of the procedure is not far off, so we have to give him credit that he is not misrepresenting the Bible's actual words to make a point. This is a very positive thing. We should, at the very least, be able to agree over clear-cut data. I even agree that this seems superstitious nonsense, though our own ignorance of the times and the text itself may weaken this claim. We should be careful to not arrogantly overstate our understanding of things like this. The third premise, too, suffers from this critical arrogance, overstatement. Max has serious objections that should not be quickly dismissed or glossed over. I don't have answers that I am happy with for the, quote, superstitious ickiness that appears in the Bible. But I find it remarkable not for its pervasiveness, but for its scarcity, especially given the wide-ranging and remarkable scope of this book. I could add many troubling issues to the list that Max provides. But the fact that the Bible has a number of unresolved issues that I cannot understand does not generalize into the claim that superstitious ickiness infects the whole Bible. This is patently false. And a fair-minded critic should not make such claims, just as the Christian should not simply dismiss the serious objections of the critic. Intellectual honesty should be the standard on both sides. We will observe a parallel sort of arrogance regarding the Bible's historicity in next week's edition. I applaud the many serious attempts by believers to make sense of the Bible's problematic passages. But even so, we should understand that the need to explain issues means that there are serious issues. Explanations are not always resolutions, problems should not be explained away. My return to Christ depended upon accepting the tension of irresolution, of uncertainty, of paradox the necessity of faith no matter which side of the looking glass we choose to stand upon. Why? Because that is how the world is. Problematic. Uncertain. As an atheist, no matter how hard I tried to box my world up, it kept escaping the boundaries. Eventually, uncertainty rationally compelled me to face the absurdity of my atheist rejection of faith we all believe. We differ only in what or on whom we place our faith. As I have said before, I cannot pretend to understand God or his ways, nor will I box him into the narrow confines of a doctrinal biblical inspiration. I don't know how biblical inspiration works, but I accept the unique status of the Bible as God's word to man. This, admittedly, is faith for me. But it is not irrational. Faith. I have my doubts, too, and I refuse to simply explain them away. But the Bible has spoken to God's people for millennia now, and its messages and insights are as fresh and relevant today as when they were first written. Men wrote the Bible in human languages, an inherently ambiguous and imperfect medium. And God inspired it, breathed into it. What does that mean? This is another of those paradoxes that human reason confronts, but cannot fathom. The Bible, in analogy with the Incarnation, is both human and divine in origin. If we privilege the divine character above all else, we get the evangelical notion of an infallible book. But we run the risk of losing the human authorship, and of fetishizing a document rather than God's message through it. I don't know who is right and who is wrong in these debates. I am too ignorant. My concern is Christ, the living Word, and His message and work of salvation for mankind. Returning to Max's argument, we can now see that there is little to no support for his conclusion from his premises. The first premise is simply a misunderstanding of the text. The second premise presents one issue of superstitious ickiness, and the third premise generalizes from this that the whole Bible is full of such which is patently untrue, an example of what logicians call a hasty generalization. So, as regards the truth states of his premises, Max does not fare well. But for the sake of argument, let us suppose that all three of his premises are true. Even so, they do not adequately support his conclusion, as a book may contain all sorts of errors and superstitions and still have boundless insight and wisdom. The Analects of Confucius has errors, and the works of Plato and Aristotle are scientifically unsophisticated. They make unwarranted assumptions, and even logical fallacies, and are, in places, arguably superstitious. But there is a great deal of wisdom and insight in both. Likewise with Shakespeare, Newton, and Marx. If the presence of error and superstition is to destroy all value for human understanding, then we will have to purge most of humanity's literature from our libraries. Hello to Orwell's memory hole, and the ministry of truth. Max himself concedes as much in the final words of his critique, the first of those I quoted above. To be fair to Max, he was not seeking to present a fully-formed argument, I think, but simply to scatter down a few points that would add up to sufficient reason to undermine my position. This, too, is typical of the critic, and to a certain degree, I misrepresent his position by formalizing it into a structured argument. Still, the formalized structure of an argument is the easiest way to evaluate the reasoning of a set of claims. Max should be given the courtesy of correcting my evaluation, and I gladly offer that to him. His overstatement of his position is his downfall. It would be a reasonable critique to claim that there are passages in the Bible that argue against its being taken seriously as a God-given text, as God is the author of truth, and the procedure for determining paternity, for example, is seriously problematic from a modern medical perspective. Next episode, I would like to conclude this two-part response to the critic by addressing Max's claim that the Bible is pseudo-historical. He makes some great points here as well that deserve our attention. If any of you want to read the actual text of Max's critique and my response, it can be found on YouTube in the comments to The Christian Atheist, Episode 9, on Jordan Peterson's contributions to the machinery of the looking glass. I look forward to next week. I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, You can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.